Thank you so much for coming this morning. I, I want to say uh, by beginning how much I appreciate the fact that the congregation here has allowed me to come. You've had me here a couple of times before, and I thought, sure, that would have ended it, but somehow you've forgotten what happened and you've had me back. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm thankful to God that God lets somebody like me, of all people, uh, go around the world and meet the finest people in all the human race. Uh, what I do is something I love to do. I, I, I'll just tell you the truth. I'd do it if you didn't pay me. I hope you do, but if you don't, that's okay. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're, we're glad you're here. We want to make you comfortable, but I'll tell you, we want most of all to please God. And so that might mean that something will be said that will upset you. Don't, don't go out and not come back just because of that, because many times in life there are things that are said that are going to upset you. And you just have to realize if you're going to change and do better, you've got to do that. So thank you for visiting with us this morning, and all the others that are here, we're glad for you as well. I want to say, I knew Josh when he was Joshua. I knew him when he was just a young boy. My sons and him played together when they were kids, uh, four or five years old, and his daddy started preaching him, and his daddy and I became great friends and have been ever since. And I just appreciate Josh and what he's doing. I can tell he's doing a great work. He's a great young man. He's been raised in a great way. His father and mother are just good people. And uh, my, all my sons are here. Some of my grandsons are here today. My brother is here. And that's a rare thing for me to get to preach to my family. Because they know me. See, they're saying, oh, he's not telling it right now. He, they know I'm a weak sinner and I do things that are wrong and I'm trying to do better. My brother Shannon got on to me yesterday about something. I, he was trying to give me something that wouldn't taste it. Now, you get up and preach. You're supposed to give and, and receive and you don't receive. You know, well, he's right. I don't sometimes practice what I preach. But I'm trying to do better at that. I want you to open your Bible up this morning to First Peter, and we came down in our Bible class, and I'm sorry that you missed that, but you can go back and read it. You don't need me to tell you what it's about. And, and you can see in that chapter that Peter is beginning to tell us, he's showing us, first of all, as we look at where we are in the world, he's showing us where we're going. We're going to heaven. We're going to places that's not going to fade and, and be corrupted and tarnished in any way. That's where we're going. So he starts off by showing us that's what this living hope is. But he also tells us, as we look at that, he tells us, you know, where we are right now is we're not there yet. We're traveling through a world where there's temptations and trial and trouble and difficulty. We're strangers and pilgrims. We're going through the furnace today. And we're going through the furnace because we've got to be developed. So when we get where we're going, we will be ready to be there, you see. And so he shows us that's where we are right now. But he also shows us how we got where we are. He says, the prophets of old told you this is the way it would be. So this is not some accident. And we sometimes say, well, why am I having such a hard time? It seems like God has left me and God's forsaken me. Why is God letting me face all these things? Listen, God has given you the very best He can give to you when He gives you troubles and trials because that's what will make you strong. If He spoils you, you'll be a spoiled brat and nobody can stand you and God won't be able to either. So we've got to see. The prophets of old wanted to see and know. Uh, they were searching to figure out what time and what manner these things were that God was doing. And they didn't see it the way we see it. The angels were looking. They were intent to see what God was doing. And God didn't tell them, but good people, He's made it known to us today. What a blessing it is. What a blessed God we serve. To make us so rich. No wonder we're singing so loud this morning. No wonder we're praying such great prayers this morning. And no wonder we're going to want to remember what it cost. It cost God a tremendous amount for us to be here together and to be His people. And we want to remember that today when we take the Lord's Supper. And I want you to notice, as Peter tells us in this journey we're taking, which is a long journey, 
And we've got to set our mind on the end of it. So Peter's going to tell us, how are we going to do this? How are we going to accomplish going through this world with all these trials and suffering? And we're oddballs in the world because we're not politically correct. We're not like the world. We're different from them. And so Peter's going to say, let me tell you how to dare to be different from the world. You just make up your mind. You're going to have to be different. Have you noticed the, the power of, of peer pressure? <clears throat> There's been a lot of research done in school classes and other places where they take children and tell, they tell all the children in the classroom, say, listen, uh, uh, we're going to have a test here. And they tell everybody except one child, we, we're going to draw some lines on the board. And when we say, when we point to the shortest line, everybody raise their hand. But so we want all you all, when we point to the longest line, for you all to say, that's the shortest line. But we're not going to tell that one student that. And so they, they go through that and they point to the, they point to the, the longest line and they say, what, is this the shortest line? And the whole class raises their hand and this one person, he's looking at anything. What, what's going on here? They all that. He said, oh, I must not have understood the directions or, or I, I surely can be. So he raises his hand. 70% of the time, that's what people do. Peer pressure. But you know what we find about that? If there's somebody wanting to do what is right, if there's somebody else in the classroom that has the courage to raise their hand up and say, that is the truth about it. That's what I see what I believe. I know that's right. And they raise their hand. That gives other people the courage. 60% of the time when somebody has the courage to do right, 60% of the time, uh, 60% of the people will do because they see somebody has the courage. So that says what we're doing with people. We're living in a world where we've got to be different. I, I, I read years ago about a man in England who went to a uh, wood, uh, a, uh, clock making shop and the fellow was selling out and he had this real nice old grandfather clock and the man was on a bicycle and the guy said you've got to buy it right now I'm getting ready to close I won't be open tomorrow I'm, I'm finished <clears throat> you got to take with me the guy said I'm on a bicycle he said we'll tie that clock on your back and help you get on that bicycle and we'll get you started toward home he said yeah, can you do it said, yeah we can do it so they tied that on to the old boy he went down the street he was riding along doing just fine on the sidewalk when he came to a curve, he turned the curve. When he did, the back of the clock stuck out in the road. Here comes a guy on a bicycle down the hill, hits the clock and knocks, falls down, has a wreck, knocks the guy over. And so the boy on the wreck, a bicycle who hit the clock gets up and comes around and he says, why can't you wear a wristwatch like the rest of us? You know, sometimes we look like we're carrying a grandfather clock on our back, you know. And people think we want to be nutty. No, we don't want to be nutty. We, we don't intend to be some oddball. What makes us odd, good people, is that the world is on a fugitive run away from God. And we're trying to run back to God. And that's what makes us holy. That's what makes us different. And if you understand that and you're not afraid of it, what you can see is what Peter's going to tell us. How do we go about that? Look at what he says in verse 13. 1 Peter 1 and verse 13. Conclusion. Wherefore... Gird up or roll up the loins of the sleeves of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that should be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter's saying, you know what you got to do to start off with? you got to first of all roll up your mind and get it working the right kind of way. If you can get your mind set on something, I've over, I mentioned I've overcome four addictions in my life. You know how I did it? I made my mind up before I got started. I was sick of drugs, sick of pornography. Sick of alcohol. Sick of tobacco. When I got sick of it and got sick of the world, I went to work, old buddy, and put up a fight because I wrapped my mind around the fact I'm sick of the world and sick of what it does. And I'm going to do something different. And when I began to change my mind, <clears throat> began to read my Bible and study my Bible, and, and when I started doing it, I didn't know that memorizing Bible verses would help me get over drugs. I didn't think that would happen. 
I thought I'm going to have to go to some hospital or somewhere or take some kind of medicine. Or do. I didn't know if I could memorize my Bible and spend my time putting my Bible on that. I, I, I said, I'll start off, first of all, stop smoking. So I started, every time I reach up to get a cigarette, I'd pull my little Bible my grandmother gave me in my pocket, and I'd start memorizing some verses. <clears throat> and so when I did that, what that did, that kept me from going over to the bathroom and looking at all the pornography in the bathroom in the factory where I went where I was working. And so I didn't know that that was not only helping me not smoke, but I wasn't thinking about pornography. And then when lunchtime came, I was sitting down, I was trying to memorize some of those verses I'd, I'd already written down on a piece of paper. All my buddies wanted to go, we used to go out in the van and smoke drugs at, at lunchtime. I stayed in the van and I worked on my verses. I didn't know it was helping me do all these things, all the other things. I realized finally I was wrapping my mind around something different. And you know, they've learned if you do something 21 times in a row, if you've got a bad habit and you fight it and you overcome it and you do it 21 times consistently, they put this out when the seatbelt seat belt law came out. They did some research and people said, we're having trouble learning it. We hadn't had, we didn't, you all know we didn't have seatbelts for years. When I drove, my kids bounced around in the walls of the van, bounced all over the van, playing football in the back. We were going somewhere. Well, they finally made these laws where you had to tie your kids down, and I'm glad that became legal. But you can tie your kids up down the car, and then nobody puts you in jail for that. So, but you know, they said if you put your seatbelt on 21 times in a row, what you will do is it will become a habit of life. It'll become a way of thinking. And you will do it almost without thought. You'll get in the car and shut the door. And so I'd get up to 20 times and I'd forget. And I'd have to go back and start again. But I finally realized, if you do something and you begin to make it a habit, and you start putting your mind, rolling your mind, wrapping your mind around what God has done and what God has promised to you, and you start thinking about that, memorizing and working on it, you'll find out what will happen is you will begin the journey of becoming different from the world. When I first obeyed the gospel, my wife and I, we, we, we went to places. My wife didn't drink, but I did. And, and we would go places and dance. And, and so I became a Christian. I, thought, I told myself, you know, I, I can't go to the dance on Friday. I don't think a Christian should be going to a place where they drink and dance. I, I was new and I didn't know anything, but I thought, I don't think I should be doing that. And so I, I said, I'll just stay home. Well, I, I, while I was sitting there at the house, I got to remember, her old boyfriend was over there at the dance hall. I thought, you know what, I think I better get over at the dance hall and watch out what's going on. So I went to the dance hall and laid my Bible on the table right there in the middle of all the beer bottles. And I just sat up there at the table and I kept an eye on everything. And I was reading my Bible. One of them comes and says, Gary, what are you doing? I said, son, I'm reading my Bible. He said, son, you don't bring a Bible in here. That Bible and this stuff don't mention. Can't you see? This is the wrong place. You're in the wrong place. You've got to get out of here, old boy. If you're going to read the Bible, you don't come in here and read the Bible in a place like this. I thought, you know what, old boy's exactly right. So I told my wife, I said, honey, I'm going to the house. I said, I know you're kind of upset because I had changed my life completely and overnight. I mean, I shaved off my long hair and cut my beard off and uh, threw my drugs and pornography and all that stuff away. And I got the Bible and I started listening to it on tape. My wife thought I'd lost my mind. She thought I went crazy. No, I was determined I was going to dare to be different. I wanted to do what the Bible said. And so Peter said, what you got to do, <clears throat> start up by rolling your mind up. And look to the end. And so don't just think this is going to be a short journey for you. Let me tell you, this thing's going to wear the hide off of you. Life is going to just wear you down good. You're going to sometimes say, I've had all I can take. I, I saw an old one in Nigeria years ago uh, driving this mule up the road. And this old mule was skinny and wore out and old. And he had the thing loaded down. He was beating that old mule. That old mule was going up the road. And he'd stop and that old boy would keep being... He kept doing Finally, the old boy just laid out and died right in the road, laid down and give up. I laid down like that. And the old boy just kept beating him. I went off and said, hey, buddy, I told him to translate. I said, let me tell him. I said, give that old boy a break. He's about to kill him, son. He said, he can't get up there unless you give him a break. I said, sometimes you've got to give somebody a break. And you know what this old boy said to me? 
You can't give life a break. It won't give you one. Well, I'm going to tell you, that's about the way life is. It won't give you a break. You'll just have to keep at it. And you young people, let me tell you something. There's no over the hill to it. I used to think, well, I can't wait to get over the hill. It gets steeper as you go. It doesn't coast down the other side. And so what we've got to see is what we've got to do is make our mind up. We're going to the end of this thing. We're not going to quit short on it. We're not going to give up. You're not going to stop me, Satan. And people who want to get in my way, I tell them, you get in my way, I'm going down the highway, you better get out of the way, I'm coming through. I'm going somewhere, and I'm not going to stop till I get home. And so he says to us in verse 14, As obedient children, not fasting yourselves according to the former lust in, the, in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. There was a young girl in the mass years ago, went to, went to the high school, and she came to church, and she had shaved her head completely, painted her fingernails black, and put on all black clothes. No, I'm sorry. She, first of all, dyed her hair black and, and put on all these black clothes. And she came to school. And my wife said, Honey, what, uh, what, what are you doing? You, uh, something's happened. You've changed. And she said, Oh, Miss Sandusky, I've just decided I'm going to be different. And my wife said, Well, honey, I've heard over at the high school that other young girls are doing what you're doing. She said, well, I guess, yeah, I guess I'm being like some of the girls at school. And my wife said, well, let me tell you something, sweetie. If you want to be different, you get your Bible out and you start learning your Bible, you start living by your Bible, and you go to school and you'll be like a watermelon in a tomato patch. You'll stick out so much, people can't, they can't see anything, but you're different than them. And I'm going to tell you, what we've got to see is we've got to do that in this world. We've got to make up, I'm not going to fashion, I'm not going to dress the way they dress. I'm not going to talk the way they talk. I'm not going to do go the place they go and spend my life doing what they're doing. I'm going to do something different than what they're doing. Not because I want to be weird, but because I want to be holy. My Father is holy, and I want to be like my Father. And that means I've got to not be afraid. Sometimes, you know what we're afraid of? We're afraid to raise our hand and say, no, wait a minute, that's not right. We've got to be courageous and not be afraid. And to see that if our Father is holy, He's calling us to be holy. And so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because as it is written, here's the statement this is taken from in the Old Testament book of Leviticus 11.44, Be ye holy, for I am holy. For if your father, uh, and call on the Father, who without respect to person judges according to every man's works, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. And so to realize the reason, what is the reason why I want to be different? Not because I'm a weirdo. I think some people just kind of love being oddballs. You know, they just they like thinking they're different from everybody and they just want to be some kind of a nut, you know? <clears throat> and I'll tell you, I'm different. I'm different from other people in the world. Because my father is different. And I want to be like my father. I want to please my father. And the motivation is he's the one who called me. And if I'm going to call on God who's my father who's holy and has called me to be holy, I've got to be like my Father. Otherwise, I can't call on Him. So I've got to wrap my mind up in this, and I've got to make up my mind. I'm not afraid to be different from other people, and I'm going to call upon my Father, who is holy, and I'm going to be holy because that's what He wants me to be. And then Peter says to us in the next verse, while you're passing your soul journey here, notice you're passing it here in fear. Now what does that mean? It means a reverential all of God. I'm doing what I'm doing because God's calling me to do that. If God is the one who made me and designed me and knows what life is about and is telling me, you want to know how to really live, Gary? You do what I say and you respect what I say. I, I can remember my children were younger, uh, real small. I would train them uh, to, to fear and respect what I say. 
And I would do things like, and I'd read some stuff. I'd put a dime on the floor when they were probably a year or two old. I'd say, now, don't touch that dime on the floor. And you know what boys, now I don't know about girls, they might do too, but I know what boys, you tell a boy not to do something, you watch him a little while, he's going to keep looking around, and he's going to see if you're watching. When he thinks you're not watching, he's going to go over and touch that dime. And I'd go over and I'd say, no! And I'd go back and sit down. And I'd act like I was reading my book, you know, and I'd be sitting there watching. He'd crawl around a while, and while he'd get back over, and he'd look around, he'd touch it again. This time I'd go over, and I'd, no! He'd, he'd look that hand, rub on it, you know, and he'd feel that pain. And he began to think, well, I wonder what in the world that was all about. And I'd go back and sit down. And then I'd, I'd wait a little while, he'd go back, he'd touch it one more time. I'd go, this time I'd bump him on the head like that. He'd look and say, well, what in the world? The ceiling, ceiling fall down on me. And he'd blow on his head. And he started connecting pain with no. And he began to realize that Dad was trying to tell him something because I want him to reverence what I say because as time went on, I'd say, look under that sink. You see that bottle in Mom's sink with the skulls on it? When Dad says, don't touch it, don't touch it. And they learned to respect me. So they would do what I said. God wants us to respect Him. So we'll do what He says. And so we need to have a reverence for all for God. But notice, He says in verse 18, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from the vain conversation received by the traditions of your fathers. And so we're not, it's not some kind of what it cost God to save me and to change me and make me holy. It wasn't just a, a piece of gold or a piece of silver or something like that. It cost God a tremendous amount. And He says to us what we were redeemed by in verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now think about this. God has a lamb, John 1, 27. The Old Testament, for years people kept offering. They'd bring their best lamb and they would sacrifice and kill it because of their sin. And it was a symbol or a shadow of the fact that one day God would send His lamb and the lamb of God would die for the sins of the world and it was the precious blood of Christ and God sent the very best that He had. So that we could be here today. So we could be His people. And I, I've told this story about <clears throat> my oldest son John. When he started kindergarten, he went off to school. And for some reason, there was a boy in the third grade that didn't like John. And so he chased him home from school the first day. And he'd shove him and John would slide on the street and skin his hands, skin his, uh, skin his knees up. And the boy would shove him and the boy would slap him around. And John came home and he, was, he, and he couldn't sleep because the boy told me he's going to kill him. So John couldn't sleep that night. Well, I went to school the next day. I said, I'd like to talk to you about something. My son at school, the principal said, whatever. I said, this old boy chased my son home and skinned him up and beat him up until he's going to kill him. My son can't sleep. And I said, I wonder what he's going to do about it. And the principal said, well, let me ask you. Did it happen on the school property? And I said, no, sir, it didn't. It happened between the house and the school. He said, well, I'm sorry. I can't do anything about it. I said, thank you very much. I'll take over from here. So I went home. And we had a big bush out in front of our house. And I got hunkered down in that bush by the time school left. <laughs> And I was squatting down in that bush, hiding in there, and I saw the boy coming. Here comes John running. And the boy would shove John, he'd slide on the sidewalk, and he'd slap John, and John would get up and start running again. And that boy run, John run around the bush, and that boy come around that bush, I jumped out of the bush, and I said, Hey, boy! And when I did, that boy ran from me, ran into my mailbox, knocked himself down, got up, ran across the street, hit the parked car, and went down the street and fell in the gutter down there, and then crawled off down the street. He was like a shot rabbit. I'm going to tell you, don't do that do that. But I'm going to tell you what the lesson is. I could not sit still and watch my son suffer for somebody else's sin. I'd rather it had been me 
And if you had needed me today to get my son so you could be saved, let me tell you, you'd still be in trouble. I'm not like God. I wish I was. But think about how much love God has for you and for me that He would set still in the heavens and let wicked, ungodly men spit on His Son, drive a crown of thorns on His head, drive cold slivers of Roman steel through His hands and feet, impale Him there half naked on the side of the road, as if nobody cared. It was the precious blood. This is how God sees Jesus. And what God was willing to give to show you to what extreme and to what degree He would go to save you. And He says about that in verse 20, Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So God knew this before the world started. Seeing seeing ye have purified your souls. I'm sorry, did I read verse 21? I'm sorry. Who, who by Him do believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. And so you can see Jesus, you can see what Jesus did, so you can put your faith and hope in what the Father did to save you. See how much the Father loves you. So we've been saved, you see. We've been redeemed by precious blood. Somebody ransomed us. We sold ourselves to sin and Jesus came and ransomed us by His precious blood. And so the writer says in verse 22, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth. You see what Peter's doing? He's painting the picture of a Christian here. It's somebody who, first of all, determines they're going to roll up their mind and hope to the end. And they're going to be like obedient children. They're going to fear God. And they're going to do what God said. They're going to value what God did to save them. That's why we take this Lord's Supper every Lord's Day and not let it become incidental to us. Well, there there should be some tears shed today. We should be touched to think about God sitting still in the heavens knowing that I, I'm the one who killed His Son. It was my sin who did it. And I'm remembering what God did to save me from myself and from my sin. And so what should I do as God's child, seeing you purified your soul in obeying the truth? Whatever God says, that's what I'm going to do. Through the Spirit that's been revealed to us, the, the truths that have been revealed... On the unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. And you think about what that says. God loves me and He's shown love me now. He wants me now to go around here and love these people. You might say, well, I don't know how God can love me. I don't know how He can love me either. But He does. And I'll tell you what He calls on me to do. He calls on me to love you. And sometimes, I'm going to tell you, people think that's a hard thing to do. And it is. I've told this story of where I've been when I first moved to Madison. I rented a house with a lady. Her husband used to preach there, and I was preaching some things different from what he preached, and it did, she didn't like it. And so we'd been living in there a little while. We took a young couple in, and, and so she came to me. She said, uh, are they living in the house with you? I said, yes, they've had some trouble, and we're trying to help them. She said, well, you've got to pay double rent. I said, well, uh, Miss Gladys, I said, I can't afford it. She said, I know you can't. You've got to get out of the house by the end of the week. This was two days before Christmas. I moved my house, my family out of this house, moved into a house that nobody had lived in for 60 years. There was no plumbing, no electricity in there. I, I got a credit card. I went and got me a wood stove and a chainsaw, put a stove in there and built a fire, and moved my house into a house that had no, no drywall in it, no plumbing in it. And I began to go to work in that house two days before Christmas, moving my family in there and that young couple with us. And that lady, when I got to church on Sunday, 
She came to the back of the building and she came up and we had a bulletin board. And she walked over by the bulletin board and she started reading everything on the bulletin board. And she walked right by me like that and she darted out the door. I ran out the door after her. I said, Gladys, where are you going? I said, you okay? And she said, oh. I said, come on, give me your hand. I said, ran out. She went on to her car. That went on for two solid years. And then one night, I came out of the services on a Sunday night and everybody was gone and she was over there by her car. And I could see she was kind of going up and down like that and I could... Looked like she was crying. I said, Gladys, are you okay? She said, no, I'm not. I said, well, Gladys, what is wrong? I'd been going to her house every time it snowed and shoveling off the snow off her sidewalk and driveway. I never knocked on her door one time. Summer came. I went over my lawnmower. I mowed her grass. She was a widow woman. I went over and mowed her grass every week. And she never. I never knocked on the door, never took a word of money from her, said anything to her about it. She kept going out the door the same way for two years. So I went up to her and said, Gladys, what is wrong? She said, I want to know how you can treat me the way you're treating me after what I have done to you. I said, well, Gladys, I'm going to have to be honest with you. I want to scratch your eyes out. (laughs) But I said, the Lord has called me to a higher calling. And I'm trying to step up what he wants me to be. She said, could you ever forgive me? I said, do you want me to? She said, I sure do. I said, it's all done. And you know, about two weeks went by and I heard one of the older ladies in the back talking something bad about me to Gladys. And I overheard Gladys. They were standing around the corner didn't see me. I heard Gladys say, you better quit talking bad about Gary or I'll scratch your eyes out. (laughs) She became one of my best friends. Why? Because I mowed the grass and shoveled the snow. Sometimes you've got to do that on a problem. When people mistreat you and do wrong, do what the Lord did. Don't carry a grudge. Don't be mean. If we've been redeemed with such a great price, can't we go to work and love each other? Can't we shed some blood for somebody? Can't we do what the Lord... Yes, we can. We can do it with a pure heart fervently is what we can do. And so Peter's telling us what holy people do. How they behave when they purify their soul in obeying the truth. Verse 23, being born again, not a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower, uh, uh, the, the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. I want you to see that what Peter's trying to get us to see here is that when we purify our soul, And when we listen and obey this gospel message that God has given to us, we need to learn that this message here, good people, this is the message of the gospel. This is the message you obey to purify. You don't do what some man says, what some church says. You do what the gospel says. And when you understand this gospel is just like that men are like the grass and the glory of men is like the flower of grass. I was out in California years ago or up in Oregon holding a meeting and they took me out and showed me these fields of tulips. I mean, gigantic fields of tulips. Beautiful red tulips in one field and white and, and uh, yellow and others. And then I looked and here comes a man going through the field with a lawnmower about this high off the ground, cutting the tops off of those tulips. I thought, what in the world is that? Somebody stop that nut. It must be some guy of a terrorist or something cutting all the tulips down. I said, what's he doing? And an old boy said, no. He said, we're not interested in tulips. We're not interested in the glory of tulips. We sell 
California gets rich because we take the bud. We take the seed that makes that tulip grow somewhere else, and that's what we're we're interested in the seed, not the glory of it. Sometimes we get all wrapped up in what we can do to make ourselves big and make ourselves look good and to put on. Listen, this old body is coming apart. This tent, I'm taking my tent down. I've got hearing aids. If I take them out, I'm, I'm deaf. I can't hear a thing. If I take my glasses off, I can't see you. Can't see my Bible. I got. Brand new legs in February. Brand new kneecaps. I got teenage legs on an antique body. It don't work very well. The glory of this old man's going. My mind is going, and I can sense it and see it. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going somewhere. I've invested my life in it, and I know the word of the gospel is what's going to get the job done. I've got to trust in that. If I want the mercy of God to save me and to touch me, I love to tell this story. I may, you may have heard me tell it about when President Reagan was inaugurated. I've never, I never got over that night. An airplane slid off of the Potomac and off the airport runway and slid into the Potomac River, the icy water. You all remember that night when Reagan was inaugurated? They were zooming down and showing these people getting out of this plane in icy water. And there was one young man out in the water and the helicopter, the wind was blowing and so the cable, they couldn't reach the cable because the wind kept blowing the cable away from them. And this one young man dove out of the plane and dove out and swam out and got a hold of that cable. He got a hold of it and he found an older, uh, well, he found a lady. And he hooked that cable onto that lady. He let go of it. And they took her up. They dropped it down again. Same thing happened. He swam over again, got it again. This time he found another person close to him. He took this, there was a gentleman in the water. He hung the cable on that gentleman and he took that man up. They dropped it down again. This time he took it and he hooked it on a young girl, a little girl. Hooked it on that little girl and he lifted her up. Hope I didn't embarrass you. He lifted her up into the airplane. And then they zoomed in on this man and they saw hypothermia kick into him. And he's just, he just looked like he was frozen. And he started sinking down in the water and sank down out of sight. And the newspaper people had a nerve to say, what was wrong with that nut? What makes somebody act so crazy? Why did he do that? They just kept uh, investigating. why, And finally they got a hold of somebody who had some sense. And they said to this person, why would somebody do that? And they said, I know exactly why he did it. And they said, why would somebody have done that? He said, that old boy... Loved the lives of other people more than he loved his own. Do you know what Jesus has demonstrated to me? He loves my life more than he loved his own. And he's trying to save me. And he wants me to hold on to what he said to me, put my faith in the gospel, and to set my mind on the end. And to run this thing like there's never going to be an end to it, I tell folks, I hope I can run down to the graveyard and jump over in it. I don't want to have to slow down somewhere and give up. I hope I can keep on pedaling until I get there. If you're here this morning, my friend, you're not a Christian, can you see what we're calling you to do? Can you become God's child? Yes. Can you be different? Yes. Can you go to heaven? Yes. God will help you do it. But you've got to make up your mind about it. You've got to start by rolling up the sleeves of your mind and determine to be different. To call upon God as your Father. Purify your soul and obey the truth. And put your confidence in this message that will never pass away. The world's going to pass away. 
This world is going to stand. This world is going to stand through it all. If you're here this morning, need to come with confession. You believe Jesus, the Son of God. Repent. Change your mind. Do the will of God. And be buried in the water river of baptism so God can operate on you and cut your sin away. Everything's ready. Why don't you come as we stand and sing the song? Encourage.